Open your Bibles with me to Galatians chapter 6. Suffer me to speak a little further in behalf of the grace of God through our Lord Jesus Christ by looking at the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen. Beginning at Galatians chapter 6 and verse 11, the summary of the book of Galatians. Ye see how large a letter I have written unto you with mine own hand. As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised, that they may glory in your flesh. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them and mercy, and upon the Israel of God. From henceforth let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. The larger context of these words is the epistle to the Galatians. Churches of Galatia, modern Turkey, they had been infected and polluted with Judaizers out of Jerusalem that wanted to add circumcision and keeping the law of Moses to Jesus Christ in order to be saved. So the whole book is Paul refuting them. It begins very quickly as you open this epistle. He says, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. Paul would say it was another gospel that they were believing in Galatians, in Galatia, in the churches of Galatia, because they were adding to the finished work of Jesus Christ. So the epistle is spent showing that Jesus Christ has delivered us from the claims of the law by fulfilling them for us, that there was no righteousness ever intended by the law of God, because no man can keep it, that the promises made to Abraham were made to Abraham and his seed, Jesus Christ, and those who are of faith are truly Abraham's seed and heirs of the promises. And he comes and he concludes the whole epistle in these words. Verses 1 through 10 of chapter 6 have several miscellaneous exhortations in them. And then he comes to verse 11 as he closes out the epistle. And he says, Ye see how large a letter I have written unto you with mine own hand. Paul didn't write his own epistles. We don't know why he couldn't write, whether he was blind, and he could have been, because he says in this epistle, he knew that the people had once loved him enough that they would have plucked out their own eyes and given them to him if they could have helped him. We don't know if that was his thorn in the flesh. Maybe he had the palsy and he couldn't write. 
But he tells them here that this long epistle of six chapters in your Bible, he had written with his own hand. In other epistles, we are given the names of the men who wrote the epistles, in some of them. Like Tertius, in Romans chapter 16, I, Tertius, have written this epistle. And then the Apostle Paul gives his signature at the end. And you know his signature, don't you? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. It's a token in all of my epistles, he said. He appeals to these Galatians by the fact that he had written them a personal letter in his own hand. Ye see how large a letter I have written to you in my own hand. And then he has a word to say about those teachers that had come from Jerusalem and were corrupting them. As many as those teachers among you that desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised. Their religion is an outward one. Their religion is a physical one. Their religion is a ritualistic one. All they're concerned about is conforming outwardly to look like Jews in order to avoid the persecution of the cross of Jesus Christ. You could buy yourself some liberty from the Jews by requiring circumcision of Gentile converts. If you were requiring Gentiles to be converted, the Jews would be favorable towards you, even if you claim to be a follower of Jesus of Nazareth, because the Jews took so much pride in that physical mutilation of their bodies in the name of religion. And so these people, these teachers, wanted to make a fair show in the flesh, but they were not truly following the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is an inward work of the Spirit of God that far exceeds any outward cutting. And so verse 12, as many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, these that are more interested in outward religion and conformity to the law of Moses and that rite of circumcision, they constrain you to be circumcised only, and here's their real motive, lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. If you preach or live purely devoted a devoted life to the cross of Jesus Christ, you will be persecuted today as Paul was then. If you let out the gospel that you heard this morning into other ears, you will find out that it is not a popular gospel. Because we have no place for men, nor ordinances, nor their missionary programs, as they describe them, nor sacramentalism, nor any of the things they've invented to help God in his work of saving souls. And so Paul was persecuted for the cross of Christ because he said circumcision no longer matters. And to a Jew, that brought him into all those beatings and whippings of the Jews that he endured. And they avoided it by requiring Gentiles to be circumcised. Verse 13, Paul further condemns these false teachers by saying, For neither they themselves, who are circumcised, keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised, that they may glory in your flesh. They want a glory in the converts that they've taken from among the Gentiles that would cut off a small part of their anatomy to look like a Jew. Oh, that was great glorying for Jews to think that they had gone all the way across the Mediterranean Sea and had taken Gentiles and caused them to submit to that rite that was purely Jewish in those days. The Apostle explains in this verse, 
neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law. If you're going to be circumcised, that puts you under the law of Moses. And if you're going to be circumcised, then you better keep the whole law. And Paul points out the hypocrisy of these false teachers, that though they were requiring circumcision, and though they were circumcised, they themselves didn't keep the whole law. They were in Galatia. What temple do you think they were going to for their animal sacrifices? They were in Galatia. They weren't keeping all the law. And Paul points out their hypocrisy in these first, in these two verses. Their fear, their compromise, and their hypocrisy. They were afraid of the persecution that Paul cheerfully bore. And brethren, there have been, there have been many men that have gone before us that did not face the persecution of Jews, but faced the persecution of others. That faced the persecution of ordinations in fear of losing their ministerial fellowship and support. That would not fully preach the free grace of God in salvation, because they would lose their place and their standing in the, in the church that then had ordained them. Believe me, men have faced that persecution before. Because if you take all the glory away from man and put it all in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're not going to be popular. Right. We have a very rare church. There are others like us. But it's very rare in the earth. Jesus saves. And I have no more to say Amen. on that subject of salvation. Right. These men gloried in the outward rite of circumcision. They gloried in ritualistic religion. The Apostle Paul says in verse 14, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, God forbid, God stop me, God prohibit me, from ever getting excited about any outward ordinance like these Jewish teachers who want a glory in circumcision. Let me glory only in the cross of Christ. We'll come back to that verse. He says in verse 15, For in Christ Jesus, the true religion of Jesus Christ, he's telling these Galatians, he's wrapping up. This is a summary of his argument of the whole book. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision but a new creature. What matters in the religion of Jesus Christ is that you have been born again and are living like it. That's the religion of Jesus Christ. God doesn't care whether you've had a little surgical procedure done to part of your anatomy. What he cares about is whether you've been born again. Except a man be born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And then you better be living like that new creature as we learned in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Amen. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That is the religion of Jesus Christ. Not just a little bit of body cutting. So much did Paul hate that emphasis by the Jews in Philippians chapter 3. He says, beware of the concision. Right. He won't even use the word circumcision, which means to cut in a circle. He used the word concision, which means body mutilators. You love the Word of God. Amen. You love every word in the Word of God. He made fun of those men Amen. and called them the concision. In verse 16 he says, And as many as walk according to this rule, and walk in the Bible means our lives, as many as have a life, a religious life according to this rule. And what is the rule? He gave it in verse 15. Circumcision doesn't mean a thing but a new creature in Christ Jesus. 
as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them and mercy. And upon the Israel of God, he sticks in another jab to those Judaizers from Jerusalem, because there's more than one Israel in the Bible. They are not all Israel, which are of Israel. There is an Israel after the flesh, 1 Corinthians 10.18. And then there is an Israel of God. And the Israel of God is like Nathaniel in John chapter 1 and verse 47. When the Lord Jesus Christ said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, truly, in whose heart there is no guile. We read in Romans chapter 2, For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, and not in the letter. So the apostle gives his benediction, his blessing, on the, all those among the churches of Galatia that had not followed those false teachers. Notice verse 12 says, As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, verses, against verse 16 and as many as walk according to this rule. Paul drew a distinction. Those that want to make a fair show in the flesh, they're doing it because they're fearful, they're compromisers, and they're hypocrites. All those that will walk according to the rule that I have laid out in six chapters, and in verse 15, peace be on them, and mercy. And they are the Israel of God. From henceforth, let no man trouble me. I will not put up with any further discussion of questions. I will not tolerate any more false teachers in the churches of Galatia that are teaching such a heresy of requiring circumcision. From henceforth, let no man trouble me. I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. He was a true follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, not a compromising one. They bore no marks in their body of the Lord Jesus because they had taken away the persecution and offense of the cross by adding circumcision. And so here he is, closing out his epistle, saying, These that are afraid of any persecution, I am loyal to the Lord Jesus Christ. Though they have questioned my apostleship, which he had to defend in chapters 1 and 2, go read chapters 1 and 2. He has to give his testimony all over again of how the Lord converted him, and how when he went to Jerusalem, he was given the right hand of fellowship as the apostle to the Gentiles by Peter, James, and John. He says, let no man trouble me. Let them no longer cast aspersions against my authority in the gospel. Let them not question me, because I am a true follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, because I bear in my body similar marks to what he had in his, and I have them because I have faithfully followed him. And he closes out his epistle. Those are verses 11 through 17. I hope you understand them. I hope you appreciate them. Verse 14. But God forbid that I should glory. Paul called God upon himself to prohibit him from ever glorying in anything but the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us in this church search our own hearts tonight that this is what we glory in as a church, and this is what we glory in as individuals, the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are other assemblies taking place tonight that will have the Lord's Supper because it's the first Lord's Day of the month. Behind many of those pulpits will be a wooden cross hanging over the baptistry. 
on the front of the pulpit, on tables, will be crosses. When it says, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, it does not mean a piece of wood, nor does it mean a piece of sterling silver hung around your neck, nor does it mean a crucifix, which I did not bring tonight by choice. I was going to. It is not glorying in that piece of wood. We don't sing the old rugged cross, lest somebody would be confused that it's the old chunk of wood that has any value. What is of value is that our Lord Jesus Christ died there. This is a metonym. He gloried in the cross because the cross was where Jesus died. He truly gloried in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Make sure that you understand that. And I know you're saying to me, that point is so simple, everyone grasps it. Go into a Catholic church sometime. Go into Brother Red's room where he had surgery and see if they believe it. They had that thing hanging there over his bed, facing his bed. A crucifix, because he was in a Catholic hospital. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross, of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, when the Apostle Paul said something like this, he had things to glory in. Was he an Israelite? A Hebrew of the Hebrews. Of the tribe of Benjamin. A Pharisee of the Pharisees. He had many things to glory in, raised and trained at the feet of Gamaliel. And he says, God forbid that I should glory in any of that, though he had more to glory in of what these false teachers were glorying in. Because he was going to glory in the cross of Jesus Christ alone. You know, Jeremiah wrote in Jeremiah chapter 9, by inspiration of God, Let not the mighty man glory in his strength, nor the nor the wise man his wisdom, nor the rich man his riches. But let him glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I exercise loving kindness, judgment, and mercy in the earth. Jeremiah and that prophecy were limited to the scope of the Chaldeans coming to take Israel captive. Jeremiah only saw darkly what we see clearly. If God would say in the Old Testament... Don't glory in riches, wisdom, or might. How much more is that true in the New Testament when we have the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ? I don't want anyone in here, young or old, to glory in anything but the cross of Christ when it comes to real glorying. The Lord doesn't want anything. What a disgrace for us to get excited about a job, about money, about looks, physique, education, or anything that would compete with the cross of Christ. All of those things are dung in comparison, and is not that just what Paul said of them in Philippians chapter 3? I count them all but dung and loss for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. His total focus was on the cross. When he preached, he said in 1 Corinthians 2, 2, I determined, I determined, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Because that is our religion. I want you to know how depraved you are and how dark and cold your hearts are because you do not glory in the cross as you should. 
And it shows how perverse we are by nature. Because there is no one that has ever done anything for you like the Lord Jesus Christ has. There is no one that has in his character and traits and actions such perfect humanity and perfect deity as the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet we get carried away with the thoughts of others who are going to die in 70 years and corrupt in the grave and are nothing like the Creator that walked on this earth in the, in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is amazing how cold our hearts are to what should be the thriving source of vitality and joy for all of us. So Paul said, God forbid that I would ever get distracted by any glorying in anything else. I want to glory only in the cross. He says that that cross had crucified the world unto him. That meant the world was no longer important to him. That's why he could count everything but loss just to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't care if he was down to rubbing two nickels together in his pocket. There were times when he didn't have the two nickels to rub. It says he was naked sometimes, so he didn't even have a pocket to put the two nickels in. And without the nickels, the pocket would have been empty, but he didn't even have a pocket. But did he care? He was naked. He was cold. He was hungry. We've read about his resume in 2 Corinthians 11, when we were there just a few weeks ago and saw the great list of what he went through for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. He saw the cross as we should see it. And it revolutionized his life. I read that he went and prayed in the house of in, there in the city of Damascus, and Ananias came and laid hands on him, baptized him, he received the Holy Ghost, he ate a meal, and as soon as he had received strength from that meat, what did he do? He went straight for the synagogue, and he preached Jesus Christ to the Jews, because he was in love with the Lord Jesus Christ, and is not that what we have read? For the love of Christ constraineth me, because we thus judge, that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, they which live should henceforth not live unto themselves, but unto him that loved them and died for them. Amen. That's simple logic. What keeps it from changing our lives? Sin. Amen. And this world. This is why we come together. To have the word of God open to us again to think once more upon the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. We just sang, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died. And then we made several statements about it. That all the vain things of the world do not compare. Is that true of our hearts tonight? The Apostle wants it to be. The Lord wants it to be. And so we have the Word of God convicting us by this passage. He said that he is crucified unto the world as well. You know what the cross does if you ever believe it? It'll give you something to glory in like you've never been able to glory before. You know, for a man who's been in the military, to stand near an M1 Abrams when it goes by is to glory in something that's powerful. It shakes the ground, and it's got firepower and a guidance system that is truly incredible. If you've been in the Air Force and you've heard, or the Navy, and heard a fighter plane go overhead, turn on its afterburners, there's something to glory in. It shakes your spleen. You know, a young man gets in front of the mirror, and he's moved up from 20 push-ups to 25. He looks in the mirror, and he thinks, what a stud. And he glories in it. The Bible tells me that. The glory of a young man is his strength. 
And do you know what? All those things are going to either rust or be eaten by worms. And the Lord Jesus Christ will live forever. It is a shame what we glory in. People will pull into their driveways, feeling the leather of their comfortable upholstery around them, and look at the manicured lawn and the fine home that they've been able to mortgage from a local bank that they paid dearly to the county of Greenville for in order to be able to live there in property taxes, and they glory in it. We are depraved. Let us glory in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, the most powerful, transcendent, glorious event that ever took place on this earth. And it was for us. By the grace of God, it was for us. It changed Paul's life. He had something to glory in. The world no longer meant anything to him. It was all tinsel and superficial trash. And he no longer meant meant anything to the world. They despised him. You know, Paul said about himself, he was the off-scouring of the world with the rest of the apostles. They persecuted him and they mocked him on Mars Hill. Though those philosophers heard the most enlightened message in their entire lives, when the apostle Paul preached to them, they mocked him. And so he was crucified to the world. And if you will live and speak and glory in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, I promise you something. The world will become less important to you, and you will be hated by the world. And that's the way it was with Paul, and that's the way it would be with all of us. If we were to truly glory in the cross, as we should. Brethren, a glorious Savior died. Which aspect of the Lord Jesus Christ would you want to consider? The wisdom of his tongue in confounding the Pharisees? The righteousness of his life in how he lived? His mercy and compassion upon the poor and helpless sheep that he encountered in his life? How do you want to measure him? He was a glorious man. Infinitely glorious. A glorious Savior died. Under glorious circumstances. Out of glorious love. After a glorious life of righteousness, after a glorious testimony before Pilate, the Bible tells us that he had witnessed a good confession, with glorious mercy to sinners even while hanging on the cross. With the glorious purpose of redeeming his elect, he rose gloriously from the dead, he sits gloriously at the right hand of God, And he is gloriously preserving and reserving an inheritance for all of us. It's the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of it was accomplished there on the cross. What are you going to glory in? Your looks? They're fading so fast. They're fading so fast. What will you glory in in ten years? When my Lord Jesus Christ died... The sun was darkened. The glory of the sun was shut in because of the glory that was occurring on the cross of Calvary. It was dark for three hours upon the earth. A great earthquake rent the rocks. When was the last time you saw rocks torn, rent, and graves opened? 
and the veil in the temple, and it wasn't a little piece of cloth. It was 60 feet high, and it was 9 inches thick. It was torn from top to bottom to open up the way into the holiest of all, because God's presence was now available to his children who could come by a new and living way, even that of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it all occurred on the cross. I want to tell you that he made an open show of the devil on the cross. If you're not glorying in the cross, you think about what happened. Our history books tell us that the earth was darkened for three hours, that the rocks were rent, the graves were opened, and the veil was torn from top to bottom. The devil was humiliated. The law of Moses was taken out of the way and nailed to that cross. It united Jews and Gentiles into one body. It gathered together all the elect of all nations and of all time into one family of God. I'm so thankful for Jacob laying on his deathbed, gathering his sons around and getting to that fourth son and saying, Judah, the scepter shall not depart from Judah until Shiloh come. And unto him shall the gathering of the people be. And when he died on the cross, he gathered us all together into one. Whether they be things in heaven, those saints already there, or things on earth, or things yet to come like you and me, he gathered us together into one. He displayed to the angels his magnificent and glorious love of the church, which they even desired to look into for a long time, because he didn't have such mercy toward them. He had it toward us his church. He brought in the everlasting covenant by the death of the testator. What good is a will while the benefactor is still alive? Jesus Christ put the everlasting covenant into force. He reconciled us to God while we were still his enemies. It allowed the lion of the tribe of Judah to approach the throne of Almighty God and take a book out of his hands that no man could open except the lion of the tribe of Judah. It brought the casting out of Satan out of heaven, who could no longer accuse the brethren. It fulfilled the word of promise from the very beginning, that the seed of the woman would bruise the serpent's head. It purchased everlasting life for his people who were sick and dying. It opened the way to God directly so that we can come boldly into the presence of God. It earned the spoils of the Holy Ghost and the ministerial gifts of the New Testament church. It paid the legal price of adoption, atonement, justification, redemption, reconciliation, propitiation, sanctification, glorification, and any other shun that you want to find in the New Testament. He paid it all at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. It earned the Lord Jesus Christ an exalted position in heaven because the Lord himself glories in it. When Jesus said, Father, glorify thyself, he was speaking of his approaching death. You magnify yourself in me, though if I had a choice, I'd take another cup. Do you know what the enemies of the cross are? Look at Philippians 3 with me. Philippians chapter 3. The apostle wrote in verses 18 and 19, For many walk. Do you remember the word walk? 
from Galatians 6, 16. As many as walk according to this rule, a new creature, Paul blessed them with peace and mercy. But look what he says here. For many walk, of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. What is an enemy of the cross of Christ? Is it someone who takes a cross and desecrates it? Is it someone who blasphemes the name of Jesus Christ? Here's an enemy of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. If our minds are wrapped up and excited about earthly things, what does that say about the cross? Because there's no comparison between anything on earth and what Jesus accomplished by his death. And for us to get our minds wrapped up on these things is the height of blasphemy against that cross indirectly by the choice in our minds of exalting the things of this world who mind earthly things. Many. He's not talking about the world. The world doesn't even know about the cross of Christ. He's talking about saints in churches. Many walk who are enemies. Their belly is their God. That is a synecdoche for wanting to please the flesh. Anything that satisfies the flesh is what they're excited about. And they're the enemies of the cross of Jesus Christ. May we be humbled and sobered by that statement right there. I have much more that I wanted to say to you tonight. I want you to go to 1 Peter 4, though. 1 Peter 4. And I hope that you will take the time to look at the outline that will be available the next day or two for you to look at many other references about the effect the cross of Christ ought to have on our lives. I was in a prison five days ago, and I used these verses. And I'm very thankful for them. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. May I read them distinctly to you and give you the sense of each one before I proceed. For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. We should look at the cross of Jesus Christ and arm ourselves with a mindset. This is the mindset of viewing the cross of Christ correctly. It's to prepare ourselves for suffering by denying ourselves the lusts of the flesh. Jesus Christ suffered in the flesh. He suffered in his body. And if we choose to follow that same course by suffering in our bodies, then we have ceased from sinning habitually, enjoyably, like, we, like so many live who, who mind earthly things and are the enemies of the cross of Christ. That's what verse 1 is saying. Get the same mind that Jesus had. He was not afraid to suffer for you. Are you willing to suffer a little for him? And if you're suffering in the flesh, that means you're denying yourself. That means you have ceased from sinning as you ordinarily would have. That's verse 1. The mindset of the warfare that we have between our souls and the lusts of the flesh. 
I was wanting to prepare a young man to face the war that is coming. And I'm thankful that there's a Savior who can help him fight it. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And the one way, one of the ways that Christ strengthens us is to look at the cross of Calvary and see the suffering and choose the same lifestyle. And that is to cease from sin and to deny ourselves. Verse 2. That he should no longer live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. Each of us has a number of years left. If the Lord tarries, and he's merciful, we have time left. But we want to commit ourselves to live the rest of our time in the flesh. The rest of our time here in this world, we want to commit ourselves to live it according to the will of God, not according to the lusts that have driven us in the past. And where do we get that? By arming ourselves with a mindset from looking at the cross of Calvary. Four, verse three, the time past of our life, may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries. There's enough sin in the past of our lives to suffice us. We should be full. We should be satisfied, satiated, because we've had enough sin. If we armed ourselves correctly, we want to live the rest of our lives to the will of God because we've already have enough sin for a whole lifetime. All oh, these were good words. They're good words for you and for me. Amen. But you know what? If you start to live that way, here's what the world's going to do. Verse 4, wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. If you get a view of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and you choose a life of suffering by self-denial and bearing your own cross and following Him, by choosing to live the rest of your time to the will of God and not the lust of the flesh, by choosing to say, I've had enough sin in my life, no more. If you do that, they're going to call you, thank you and call you strange. The thank yous in the first part the call used in the last part when it says speaking evil of you. You know, that young man's going to get out of prison. And when it's discovered that he is out of prison, there are going to be those who are going to think him strange and they're going to speak evil of him. And they're going to come after him. And they're going to try to take him off the way of righteousness. Out of the highway of holiness. But we all need to be prepared because as soon as we walk out of this room, the world's going to try to do the same thing to us. It's Super Bowl Sunday. If you go home tonight and turn on that Super Bowl or watch Sports Center tonight, I am not the Lord of your soul, but I will tell you something that even the smallest child of God knows. If you go home and, and let any of that into your heart and your soul, this will run out the other side of it. You cannot do both. It is impossible. If you choose the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, then the world is crucified to you. The world is filling their belly with that right now. That stupid game that in just a few weeks, the average person that watched it will not be able to remember a single detail about it. They will not even remember the final score. They'll have trouble remembering who won. And three years from now, they will not know who won. 
It's nothing. Do not go out of here and leave the cross of Christ. But if you go out of here and live the cross of Christ, the world is going to think you strange that you did not run with them to the same excess of riot. I hope you can apply that to a young man we're praying for and that you can also apply it to yourselves. And they're going to speak evil of you, but bless the Savior that I represent tonight. Who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead? I have a Savior coming that is going to take those who speak evil of those that try to live a righteous life in this world, and he's going to judge them in a day that's coming. And the judgment is not going to be pretty for them. Because they tried to take saints of God out of the way of righteousness. Do you know what all of that is based on? It's glorying in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, in his body he hung on a cross for us. Arm yourselves with the same mindset. I will suffer in my flesh by denying myself some of the things my body wants so that I will not live the rest of my time in the lust of the flesh, but to the will of God. Because I've already had enough sin in my life to suffice me. And I am not going to run with them to the excess that this world runs. There is so much value from the cross. In Philippians 2.5 it says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. And it goes on for seven verses to describe the Lord Jesus Christ humbling himself to the death of the cross and then being exalted with a name that is above every name by God his Father for doing that. But you know what all of that is there for? Let this mind be in you, humility and service, that we would both give that to one another. Because go read the first four verses and get the context of Philippians 2. It is less a doctrinal lesson than it is a practical lesson that we ought to have that same mindset of loving and serving in humility. How about 1 Peter 2.18, where it says that if you're working for a froward master, you submit to him cheerfully and do everything he wants, because that is thankworthy to God. If for conscience toward God you will endure grief, suffering wrongfully, how do you think it ends? It says because Christ hath suffered for us, and given us an example that we should follow in his footsteps. All of that comes from looking at the cross. I want us to think about the cross tonight when we come to the Lord's table. But I want us to think about the cross when we walk out of that room. When we're here, we're thanking God for his grace in sending the Lord Jesus Christ to die in our place. And we can say tonight, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, We would fall into hell and have nothing hindering our fall at all. But when we go out of here, let's keep the cross. Let's not limit our thoughts about the cross of Christ to the first Sunday evening of the month. Let's walk out of here and arm ourselves with the mind of the cross like Paul armed himself. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.